the Bible there, one of these, this grouping of ancient documents. I hate using the term Bible, and you know that, but I'm only saying that because that's what we in 2020 know it as. It's actually a collection of ancient documents that were written over a period of 1,500 years. Everyone say 1,500. That book you've got there, that's, those writings were written over a period of 1,500 years on, I think, three different continents. They were written by people in prison. They were written by people in, uh, in palaces. It was written by people in wildernesses, uh, written by a whole bunch of different uh, people. And uh, they have survived history. They have survived for thousands of years. Nations have tried to completely wipe this book out. If you go back and look at human history, there have been... Uh, times in history where nations have tried to gather every Bible they couldn't burn it. There's been a war against what's written in this thing to try to squash the reality of God as revealed to us through the teachings and the writings of these people. These people who most of them didn't just know stuff. These are people that had experience and encounter with God. Yep, uh, people that walked with God, people that were close to Jesus, people that heard him talk, or people that sat down like good journalists and interviewed first-hand witnesses who walked with him and got their information and then documented this stuff. And there's a reason why, uh, with all of the pressure that's been throughout human history to rid the world of this book, there's a reason why it's still here. That's because God wants us to have it. Okay, And I know there are many of us here with, with you know, Six, seven, eight, ten copies at home. I've got the American Standard Version and the New International Version and the uh, Message Version and the Passion Version and there's the this version and that version. I've got my own version that every now and then I'll quote, but only to myself because I don't want to get in trouble with God by telling you guys my version. Uh, but there's a reason why that's still hanging around because it's not just a book. So when we say uh, the Bible's a book, uh, look, the Bible's got a little more power and a little more influence throughout human history than Woman's Day does or a Robert Ludlum novel or whatever. Uh, but you know what I mean when I say the word Bible. I'm just letting you know that when I say that word, I'm meaning what I'm just explaining to you, not probably what you think of just a book. It's not just a book. It's not just a book. Nations in the world where people are gathering, even as we speak, they're gathering around one page of this thing. Gathering in a room with a candle around one page, knowing that if somebody, the wrong person, walked in the room, they could literally lose their lives for even looking at it. But they believe that this is not just a book. It's not just something that was written down for the sake of it, that God wanted humanity to have this because there's something different about what's in this than what you'll find in any other book that you'll ever come across. So if you've got one of those things there, the Bible, turn with me for a second to John chapter 2. I don't want to take a lot of time this morning. <laughs> That's for those that are regulars here. I never want to take a lot of time. I just do. You can't help it. You can't help it. Hey, we had a bit of a flood in here this week. Anyone smell, can anyone smell like damp? Anyone walk in this morning and smell damp? No, that's good. I'm glad. I was hoping you wouldn't. But um, when we had that rain the other day, the, the concrete slab here, the water's come up from underneath. And if you have a really good look, you'll see it. There's a watermark on the carpet. The, 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 the moisture came out to about here. So from here down, the carpet was soaking. Uh, there was mud. All the boxes out the back there, by the way, anyone with a cardboard box out there, it's destroyed. The moisture got into the boxes. I've got to go through a whole bunch of stuff. We've got a toilet out the back there. And thankfully, it's got a drain in it. So you can see where all the water has rushed down. 
down the drain there and all the, the mud and gunk around the top of the drain as it's gone down. So a lot of water got in here in that uh, time. And it's interesting because when water gets into something or, or invades a space, it leaves a mark, doesn't it? The water leaves a... You can go downtown and you can see certain places where we had those big floods in Lismore and you can see, still see watermarks. Anyone see them? You go to a shop and you still see watermarks. Because when, when the water floods in, it leaves a mark. And I think that's cool because I think about God and when the Spirit of God floods into my life, God has definitely left a mark on my life. What about you? Has God left a mark on your life? See, when God comes in, I think God leaves a mark. And I think that mark is something that should be evident to the people around us that look and observe and see. They should see, hey, there's a watermark on you. There's a mark. There's something different about your life and something different about you. And so... While that water flooded in and left a mark on the carpet, I'm excited at the thought that that's exactly what God wants to do with us. God doesn't, God doesn't want to be something that we just know about. God doesn't want to be uh, a knowledge base of religious stuff that we have. If that was the case, then instead of sending a man called Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, and by the way, this whole thing we're doing revolves around that. It revolves around an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It doesn't revolve around whether we can confirm or prove or disprove or whatever. You can like or not like this book. It's okay. If Jesus was not crucified, buried, resurrected, then none of this stuff makes any sense anyway, and it's all full of lies and jargon. So, but if it did happen 2,000 years ago, and I, I believe that, that that did happen, if God didn't want us to have relationship if God didn't want uh, he, uh, man to interact with him in a personal way he would have just instead of sending a human baby he would have sent us a library with a bunch of books in it he, he would have just dropped a document from space that whoop, and just landed down here and we could have just flicked through that and filled our heads with all this information about God and all of a sudden we would feel peace and joy and life and enthusiasm, but he didn't do that. He didn't just drop down information because God's not a philosophy. He's not a theory. God is real. God is as real as you and me. And that's what Christians believe. If you're, if you're here today and you uh, believe in Jesus and you've given your life to him, then that's what you believe. If you haven't, then you probably don't believe that. I didn't believe that up until about the age of 19. I had a, a series of uh, what I at the time referred to as very unfortunate events take place. In hindsight, looking back, that was a series of extremely fortunate events because had they not happened, I may not be standing here today. I may not have got my attention off myself and my own plans and my own purposes and put them on God if it wasn't for that particular series of what I now term fortunate events in my life. And there's many of us here, you look back at your journey, you can say the same thing. There's been a series of what at the time seemed incredibly unfortunate events, but in hindsight, if those things were part of God's journey to get your attention off yourself, off the world around you and onto Him, then they go from being unfortunate events to extremely fortunate events in your life. So... I don't know why I'm saying any of that. It's just coming out of me right about now. So there you go. I was, I was building to a point. What was my point? I guess my point's this, that God is real and God leaves a mark on our life. God can change us. He really can. And sitting on the other side of the fence at 19 years of age before I came to Jesus, I probably didn't fully comprehend and understand that. I just thought, you're asking me to follow a set of rules. 
20 odd years down the track since, what am I, 19, I'm about to turn 48, what's that, someone do maths, 20, 19, 20, 49, 29 years later, is that right? I, I got real bad market maths at school, so don't judge me. Um, 29 years down the track now, now I, I, I realise that knowing stuff about God is just not enough, because that's not what it was about. Jesus doesn't want me to know stuff about him. I, I know about a lot of people, you know. I know about Wayne Pierce. Anyone know Wayne Pierce? He used to play rugby league for the for the Balmain Tigers, the only real rugby league team there ever was, ever will be. Wayne 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 Pierce. I know heaps about Wayne Pierce. I mate, I know so much stuff about Wayne Pierce. I've read his biographies and 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 and, and, and you know looked at his fitness and how he got to where and all. I know also about Wayne Pierce, but you know, but I don't know Wayne Pierce. I just know about Wayne Pierce. I've never met the dude. I just know about him. And a lot of people know about God, but do they know God? So Jesus came so that we would know God, so that we would encounter God, we would experience God in our life. Um, I went to Sizzler on holidays, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you a story, don't judge me. I went to Sizzler when we were on holidays. And anyone, anyone been to Sizzler restaurant? And, and it's one of those restaurants where you pay for the salad bar. Anyone, anyone go to the salad bar? Yep. Well, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not a big into the salad bar, I want the meat, okay? Uh, don't judge me if you're a, a, a vegetarian or vegan, that's okay, everyone have their own things, what you do. Um, but I like what John Cleese once said, John Cleese once said this, the, the Monty Python comedian, he said this, he said, if God didn't want me to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. <laughs> don't throw stones at me, I'm just saying, I really like that. And so that's my philosophy as well. But anyway, okay, each to their own. But anyway... I went there, and, and here's the thing. When you go into Sizzler, the bargain at Sizzler is the salad bar. That's the bargain. That's the draw card. That's why people go, because you pay uh, whatever it is, $14.95 or whatever, and you get this thing called a salad bar. But, hey, it's not just a salad bar, by the way. It's not just rabbit food, okay? You get in there, and you've got your rabbit food. Yeah, that's all there. But you've also got seafood salads. You've also got pastas and, and so, uh, like bolognese's and and all. All this kind of stuff. You've got desserts, all kinds of desserts at the salad bar. And you've got uh, breads and different types of soup. You can get all kinds of... There's so much stuff at the salad bar. Salad bar sounds so boring, but when you get in there, oh my goodness, you can have anything you want. It's amazing. Chips, they got chips. Chips in a salad bar. You shouldn't have chips in a salad bar, but they're chips in a salad bar. Not just potato chips, corn chips. You got corn chips in a salad bar. It makes no sense. You're saying salad, and then I've got all this. It's amazing. And here's the thing everybody that goes to Sizzler, it's the same price for the salad bar. It doesn't matter who you are. You ever notice that? It, they, when you walk in, they don't care who you are. It's going to be the same price that gets paid for the salad bar. So whether you walk in there, and you, by the way, I'll let you in on a secret. It's hard being me on a Sunday morning. I want you to know that. Okay. A reason being this is you have no idea how much energy I'm exuding holding my stomach in when I stand in front of you. <laughs> it's painful. Every now and then I catch myself and I'm going, why am I running out of breath? Well, because you're spending so much energy sucking your gut in, that's why. Because if I let this thing out, <laughs> first two rows, you're gone. So I'm just keeping it in. All right? Keeping it in. It's humility. I'm being humble before you. And so it doesn't matter. When you walk in, it doesn't matter who you are. It's going to be the same price for the salad bar. Yep. The same price is paid for the salad bar. 
But I'll tell you what I do when I go in there. I will eat more than any other person in that room. I'll do it. And, and I get in there. And I, you know, now, I don't just do salad bar, by the way. I order a meal too. So I've got my, my Malibu chicken. Anyone like Malibu chicken? It's got the bit of cheese and some bacon and jazz on top. Oh, I love Malibu chicken. Some nice sauce. Are you hungry? You were telling me you had breakfast this morning and you were hungry. Is it making you all hungry? And so I have my Malibu chicken, so I order that. So, but while I'm waiting for the Malibu chicken, I go up to the salad bar. And I take my plate up and I've got a ritual every day. Uh, every time I go there, which is probably once, twice a year we go there as a family. And so I go up there and I get the, the uh, pasta, the fettuccine pasta, and I put on some bolognese sauce. And then I go to the seafood salad and I go through. Now the seafood salad has this, this seafoody stuff. I don't know exactly what it is, but it passes for seafood, I guess. Um, and they've got that, and they've also got celery and a whole bunch of salad stuff in there. I just take my time. I pick all that salad stuff out, and I just get all the meat. And I load up my plate with that. And I go, hey, I can. I paid for this. So I'm just take, So I go back, and I sit down, and I eat that. When I finish that, I usually get up, and I go back, and I grab a second helping of that. Then by the time I finish my second helping, then my Malibu chicken comes. Then I eat my Malibu chicken. After my Malibu chicken, you know what I do? I'm going back. You know why? Because I want everything that's on offer in that salad bar. I want as much as I can possibly get. So I go back to that salad bar again, and I load up again with a little bit more of my fettuccine stuff and the sauce on top, and they'll go around. This time I will grab a little bit of salads and some fruit and things like that, and I'll come back, and I'll eat that, and I'll have that. And everyone, by this stage, everyone's usually staring at me, judging me. <laughs> Something you should not do. You're not walking in my shoes. You don't know who I am. Don't judge me. And so I sit there and I eat this thing and then at the end of that, I look across over my shoulder and there's this section of the salad bar called dessert. Now I'm not a big dessert eater, I don't eat dessert when I'm at home, I'm not a big sweets eater other than chocolate biscuits, which by the way, the ladies doing morning tea, men doing morning tea, that hasn't been for a couple of weeks, it's okay though, I'm just letting you know. But anyway, so then I get up and I go over there and, and, and you go to the, the, the dessert bar and there's all these, you know, oh, I don't know what they are, it's just basically sugar or different colours. I don't care. I'm hanging away at this, this, this dessert stuff and so on. I go back and I, I sit down and, uh, you know, and then usually I'll go back for a sneaky second dessert when no one's looking because by this stage they're really judging me. <laughs> but it's interesting. It's the same price for the salad bar. No matter who you are, the same price was paid for you to have a salad bar. But some people seem to get so much more out of it than others do, you know? I don't know what it is. Some, you know, we could sit here and we can, we can make reasons and, you know, it's, some people are just gluttons and they just don't know when to stop. Hence me sucking this in while I'm telling the story. Some people have a greater capacity. They can just fit some more food in than others can, you know? But I think about that and I think, you know what, the Christian life can be a bit like that. The same price is paid for each and every one of us. I don't care who you are in this room. You're never going to be good enough for God. You're never going to get in right standing with God by your own efforts. You're not going to be good enough. It's the story of what we read in this document from start to finish. It's a story about a God that loves mankind, loves us so much that he knows we will never be good enough for him. And so he devises a plan to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And he sends Jesus. And why does Jesus come? It's simple to those of us that understand, that have been around church long enough. Jesus comes because there's a problem. And the problem is that we have all fallen short of 
the standards of God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. We've fallen short. We're just not good enough. God knows that we won't ever be good enough. God doesn't give us a rule book and say, I just need you to, here's the things. If you want to be right with me, here's the rules. Now, this, 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 this. Because God knows that, first of all, without his spirit living inside of us, we'll never be able to do that stuff anyway. We can't do it. And so Jesus comes down and in simple terms, he pays a price. He pays the fourteen ninety five, so that all of us can enjoy the salad bar. He said, put it on my tab, you can enjoy the salad bar. We're saved by grace through faith. But how many of you know that even though we're saved by grace through faith, grace means an unmerited favor, means you're getting something that you don't deserve. But God is going to give it to you. Even though we're saved by grace, we had to do something, didn't we, to activate that grace? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I've got to come humbly before God and admit, you know what, God, I've done the best I can with this life, but I know there's something missing. I know there's something missing, and I can't find it. I'm, I'm trying it in relationships. I can't find it. I'm trying it in substances. I can't find it. And I've, I've been down this journey, and many of you in this room have yourself, and we've tried to find it in money, and we've tried to find it in things, and we've tried to find it in... Maybe some of us have tried to find it in religion, and we came up empty, and we went, none of these things are giving me what my heart is craving or what my real desire is. And that's that point where we come humbly before God and we go, you know what, there's, there's nothing I can do other than fall on your grace. I can't do anything, so what I'm going to do is make a choice to accept what you have already done 2,000 years ago. But I have to make that choice, don't I? It's there's still something I do to activate that in my life. And, and, and here's a thought. I, just, I, I, I don't want to get to all over the shop today. I just want to leave you with a thought. Why is it that some people seem to squeeze so much more out of the Christian life than others do? Why is it that some people get so much more out of the salad bar than others are prepared to get? And I think the answer is very, very simple. And I just want to plan a thought with you today. And here's what I want to say to you. John chapter 2. Jesus' mother Mary makes this statement that is so incredibly simple yet so incredibly profound when it comes to the Christian life. We're meant to... Jesus made these statements like, I come to give you life and give it to you in abundance. David said in the Psalms, I would have lost heart. I think it's Psalm 27 somewhere. I would have lost heart if I didn't think I'd see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So there's something... What he's saying is there's something here in the living, in the now, that is good that God wants to do for you, get to you. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Joshua has just inherited this millions, a couple of million people. Moses is dead. Joshua's got to take them across the promised land. If you inherited a company with a couple of million employees, you would understand the fear that he was feeling at the time. But in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God says this to him. He says, this book of the law, speaking of not, not what we have now, but, but what they had back then. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to know everything that is written in it. Did I quote it correct or did I quote it wrong? 
Is that what he says? You'll meditate in it day and night so that you may know everything that is written in it. Wrong. He says, this is the reason why I want you to meditate in this thing, Joshua. He says, I want you to meditate in it and I want you to understand and know this stuff because the end game is this, that you will actually put action to it. That you'll go and you'll do it. And here's what he says. He says, if you will do that which you know to do, if you will do what God wants you to do, then here's the end game. You will be prosperous and you have good success. I think some people squeeze more out of the Christian life because they've made a choice, a decision, a consistent decision, not a one-off. And that consistent decision is this. We are, we are going to do and live life the way that God says to live it. It's so simple, yet so incredibly profound. In, in John chapter 2, we read about the first miracle that Jesus did turning water into wine. But I think the most profound part of that is not that Jesus did that. We know who Jesus is and that kind of stuff. He can do that. But listen to what Mary has to say to the servants that were around at the time. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Another of Jesus was there. Um, verse 3, they ran out of wine. And uh, Jesus' mother says to him, they got no wine. And Jesus makes this statement, Woman, what's your concern got to do with me? My hour's not yet come. Verse 5, look at what Mary says to the servants. She says this. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, lock it in your brain, memorize it, and go and tell others about it. Is that what she said? There's a little two-letter word in there. D and O. And it's not Homer Simpson. Do. Do. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. And you know what? I reckon the people that squeeze the most out of the Christian life are the people who are committed not just to knowing stuff about God, but have made the choice that I'm going to do. Whatever he says, I'm going to do it. Whatever he says, I'm going to do it. I wonder sometimes, you know, we go through, we gather every seven days. Some of us are going to sit through 52 messages on a Sunday. I'm believing and hoping and praying that your relationship with God is broader than just now. And that in the other six days of the week that you're also picking up this book called the Bible and you're spending a little bit of time reading. You don't have to try to understand and work it out. Just read it. Just let the Holy Spirit take those words and wash over you. You'll be amazed at times that you can read something a hundred times and all of a sudden it just jumps out at you. It's like the Holy Spirit, God's speaking to you in that moment about something, a situation you're going through or answering a question or something that you've, you, you've been pondering on or whatever. But I'm, I'm hoping that we do more than just when we come here, we open it up on a Sunday when the preacher goes, can you turn to John chapter 2 or um, whatever but I think the way that we get the most out of this life and and God wants you to get stuff out of this life I, I believe that I believe that there's purpose on your life there's destiny on the life of every person that was created because God created us for a purpose so if he created us for a purpose, uh, if he created us for a reason, then, then that means that that purpose is meant to be. He didn't create us for an idea. He didn't create us for a theory. He created us for a purpose. There's something that he wants to do. You know, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, the world's 
agenda for humanity is actually the same as God's agenda for humanity. Eerily similar. I never thought about this till yesterday. And here's, here's why. You know, the way the world is today is geared towards um, two things. The world is trying to empower every person to be whatever they want to be and do whatever they want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. You don't even have to be male or female anymore. You can be other. The world is trying to create a system whereby you can be whatever you want to be and whoever you want to be. And secondly, you can do whatever you want to do. Let's, anytime there's rules, we, we smash down the rules or boundaries, smash down. You should be free to be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. That's what the world is trying to do. The world is trying to create a system that empowers every individual to be whatever they want to be and do whatever they want to do. You know, that's eerily similar to what God's agenda is for humanity too. But there's one tiny difference. God wants to empower you to be who you were created to be. God wants to empower you to be who you were made to be. And God wants to empower you to do what you were created to do. The world's saying, be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want. God's saying, I want to empower you in the same way, but I want to empower you to be what you were meant to be and do what you were meant to do. The difference between the way the world does it and the way God does it is one thing. Who are we submissive to? Who are we submitting ourselves to? Are we going to live a life that's submitted to our own desires and our own needs and our own perspectives and our own way of working things out and our own way of justifying, our own way of rationalizing? Or are we going to submit ourselves to a higher purpose and to a higher authority, which as believers we call God, knowing that God has one agenda for you, and that is that you would be prosperous and successful. God's agenda is that you would experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's God's agenda for you. And you know what I find? You, you think about the most exciting stories that you read about in this book called the Bible, this document called the Bible. What are the, some of the most exciting stories are when people heard something from God and actually did it. And when we do what God asks us to do, that's when we experience God. See, I think a lot of people don't experience God because we're just gathering information about God with no commitment to outwork it. It's not until we begin to outwork what God is saying to us that we begin to experience and encounter God. God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Not just a theoretical God, but an actual experiential God is waiting on the other end of your obedience. There are miracles, there is provision, there is peace, there is joy, there is fulfillment, and it's all waiting on the other side of this simple little thing called obedience. See, obedience has kind of got a bit of a negative connotation to it these days because we don't want to be told what to do by anybody and you know if you're going to tell me what to do I mean you've got to explain and you've got to basically convince me why and I go back and I look at God and I go but but you know what I, I just don't see that all the time with God there's something in us now I mean I watch this with kids I don't know if you observe children much but I observe kids a little bit and I look at kids now and, and kids when I went to school if a teacher said do something you did it anyone grow up in that if mum and dad said do something, what did you do? Well, you tell me why. Why should I do that? You could do that, but you, you felt something. You had an experience. You had an encounter with a piece of leather. 
You encountered a piece of leather around the buttock area. If you look back and say, you tell you, I shouldn't have to do that. You had an encounter, but not a good one. Not the encounter God wants to give us when we do obey. You see, God has good things in store for us. Who believes that? Then here's the thing. If God really has good things in store for you and I, and I believe he does, God's ways are not my ways. He's a little different to me. And everybody said, amen, because that's a good thing. If God was like me, the world would be chaotic mess. If the world was like, if God was God, you'd all be wearing black and orange this morning to church. You'd all be wearing tiger's clothes to church right now. You'd worship like me. You'd look like me. You'd act like me. Every time I said something, you'd burst up in uproarious laughter. Pauline's like me. See, she's chuckling away there. But God is not like me. God's ways are different to mine. But quite often what we do is we get into this thing called life and we come to God and then we start journeying, but we still want to rationalize everything. Here's what I've found in my own life. When I rationalize obedience, it generally leads to disobedience. If I rationalize whether I should or should not do what God's asking me to do, nine and a half times out of ten, I land in a place where I don't end up doing it. And when I don't end up doing it, I miss out on an encounter with God. Whether that encounter be a goosebump or whether it simply be the peace and the joy and that inner feeling you get when the Holy Spirit's giving you a massive thumbs up in your belly, my massive belly, big thumbs up going, well done, good and faithful servant. Knowing that you did something positive in this world and you left a bit of a mark for, for eternity and God will breathe life into that and God will do whatever he wants to do with that. But when we rationalize and sit back, we, we generally end up landing in a place where we don't obey God. And it makes sense that we wouldn't obey God because a lot of times what God says to do doesn't make rational sense. So if you want to rationalize it, you probably won't do it. You know, if you want to find your life, lose it. Hang on a second, it makes no rational sense that I would, I would lose my life to find it. It makes no rational sense that I won't lose it. I'll come to faith, I'll thank you for paying for the salad bar. I'm happy that you paid for the salad bar, um, but, you know, that's it. And you'll sit at the table while other people are running up and down getting more and more and wondering how come they're getting so much. Well, they're getting up and they're doing something. They're, they're doing something. And, and what we need to learn to do is to do whatever he says. Whatever Jesus says, what is he saying to you? First of all, there's a whole bunch of things we know he's saying. It's right here. It's, it's revealed to us already in this. When I break my life down and go back to this and go, am I doing this stuff? Because of course I want God to speak to me with an angel in the middle of the night and tell me to wake up, go down to Straight Street. There's going to be a guy called Saul of Tarsus there. I want you to pray for him. He's blind and I want you to lead him to faith. And he's going to go on and write two-thirds of the New Testament. We all want that. But God's going, I want that for you too. But I've already asked you to do some things. You won't do it. You won't do it. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to make a choice. It says in Hebrews 5 verse 8, I think it is interesting, talking about Jesus, who was the sinless son of God, right? You know Jesus had to learn to be obedient? I think it's Hebrews 5 8, is that where it is? Maybe you can have a look up the back. Although, there it is, 5 8, look at that, what a great memory. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. That's no different to our children, is it? They, they learn obedience by the consequence. So when they do good, there's a consequence. And they go, yay, this is better than what I did last time. 
which also had a consequence, but it wasn't a good consequence. So next time around, I'll do what I did this time because the consequence is way better than what I did that time. There's a consequence at the end of the action and we learn obedience. And when we're obedient to God, there's always a consequence. There's always a consequence when we're obedient to God. You see, I, I, I believe this. I believe we encounter God to the degree that we have determined to obey God. If we are not walking in obedience to God, then we probably won't have much of an encounter with God. Saved, yes. Going to heaven, yes. By grace you have been saved. You're sitting there. Salad bar's paid for and you're going to heaven. That's fine. But, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. We've got to learn to trust God because God has good things in store for us. But the pathway to becoming all that God wants you to become and getting all that God wants you to have and doing all that God wants you to do, the pathway for each and every person is simple. It begins with obedience. Let me break this to you. There's no anointing for obedience. That sucks. I just want someone to pray for me. And all of a sudden, I become obedient to everything God says. I want somebody to pray for me. And all of a sudden, you know, I want a prophet to come to town and say, Oh, thus Theo saith the Lord, Theo, you will be obedient now. Jesus' name, obedience, obedience. And Theo never has to make a choice for the rest of his life. He just naturally does. Well, hey, guess what? Jesus had to make a choice. Jesus kneels in the garden of Gethsemane and says, You know what? This is really, really tough. This is really, really rough. But... I know what you want, God. I know what you're saying. And so I'm going to choose. He didn't say to the 12, 11 disciples at that stage because Judas was off doing something. Didn't say to the 11, can you gather around and pray for me? I've got to make a choice. And if you pray for me, I won't really have to make the choice. I'll just be anointed and I'll just do it. No, no, no. You've got to make a choice. And that choice is to obey whatever he says. Whatever he says. A couple of weeks ago, A couple of weeks ago, six weeks ago, had this young man, really good, good young kid, and I was coaching him in a sporting team. The Lord spoke to me, and He said this to me. He said, "I want you to buy him a Bible and give him a Bible." And instead of buying the Bible and giving him the Bible. I started rationalising. Well, hang on. I'm his coach. I don't know whether that's cool. Let's rock up and give him a Bible. I know this kid. We've got a good relationship right now, but I don't know that he's ready, open, yada, yada, yada. We went down to Port Macquarie. We played the national titles. We won. He's jumping around. We're hugging. Gold medal. Six weeks later, he's in prison. Good kid. Just, just silly. Not a bad kid. Unfortunately, just a stupid kid. Wrong place, wrong time, did the wrong thing. Could alter the rest of his life. I'm not saying had I given him the Bible, it would have changed that. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that 
Whatever he does, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. What's he saying to you? What's he saying to you about your finances? What's he saying to you about your marriage? What's he saying to you about your life? What's he saying to you about the world you've created? What's he saying to you about your faith? You see, God doesn't want you to do things. God is not looking for your obedience so that he feels more like God because he's on a power trip and you're doing what I say enough. God's as secure as he's ever going to be. You don't add to his security by obeying him. God is God. He wants you to obey because he wants the blessing to come into your life. Here's the reality. When we don't do what he says, we're actually stealing a blessing from ourselves. We're keeping ourselves from blessing. Isn't that a terrible thought? Because God is for us, not against us. But obedience is the pathway to getting everything that he wants for us. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I want to say to you what Mary said to the servants. Whatever he says to you, would you do it? Would you do it? Because he's got good plans. Finish with this. My son, Caleb, some years ago, some of you have heard this story, but it's a good story. It's a good story. Uh, my older son, Caleb, he was a mad uh, Canterbury Bulldogs fan. And uh, he was going to school. He was about, yeah, put your hands down. <laughs> Any West Tigers fans here? Put your hands up. That's all good. Yeah, sweet. Okay. Um, he was a mad dogs fan. So anyway, it turns out the dogs were playing the Titans down at um, the Gold Coast. And he was at school, though, and he couldn't wait to get home from school because me and him were going to sit down. We were going to watch the Friday night football game on TV. So he's all day, all week, he's pumped. Me and Dad are going to sit down. We're going to watch the, the, the Titans and the Bulldogs Friday night football, and he's just pumped about it, you know? So anyway, so anyway, what he didn't know is I devised this plan. I found some tickets, and I bought a couple of tickets earlier in the week, and I said to Jackie, I'm going to surprise him. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to have to pick him up from school because, uh, you know, we won't get there otherwise. I'm going to pick him up from school and take him up. But what I'm going to do is I'm just, I'm not going to tell him we're going to the game. I'm going to tell him that I've got some meetings in Brisbane, uh, meetings at the Gold Coast, because I was up and back at that stage with life, different things. I said, I've got some meetings there. Mum is busy this afternoon. She can't come and get you. So I've got to pick you up and take you. So I rocked up to the, to the school there. And I, I go to the front desk and I say, I need Caleb. And he comes out and he's, he's like, what's going on, Dad? I said, look, I've got to go to the Gold Coast for some meetings and, and Mum can't pick you up, so you've got to come with me. So he goes, okay, no worries. Jumps in the car. But I could tell straight away there's a thought in his mind. And I know what the thought is, Dad, what time are we going to get home? So, but I just drove. <laughs> I know you're thinking something, mate. You've got to ask me. So we're driving along. And eventually he says, Dad, what time do you reckon we'll finish? I said, oh, look, I've got to be honest with you, Caleb, I don't know. Okay. And I knew what he was thinking. The next question was but Dad, I want to watch the game. I'm going to miss the game, you know. And so I'm driving along, and then after about 10 minutes, he goes, Dad, do you reckon we'll get to see the game? No, no, he said, do you reckon we'll get to see the game on TV? That's what he said to me, I remember. Get to see the game on TV? And I, I mean, Jesus said, be as cunning as wolves, innocent as doves, right? So he said, well, I don't think we're going to, we might not get back in time to see it on TV. And you know what he said to me? Oh, that's okay, Dad. I was so impressed with his attitude. He just went with me. It wasn't what he wanted. It was not what he wanted, but I said, this is what we need to do. And he went, okay. And we're driving up to, up to the Gold Coast. We get there, and we turn off, and we're heading towards where the stadium is, right? And, and he's still got no idea. He's clueless. 
But, but he went with me. Here's the thing. He had no idea what was going on, but at every turn he just kept going with me. And so I'm driving along and then I look up there and they're putting the barricades out for the parking for the football. And so I, I turned down the road down. I said, oh, look, well, I've got a few minutes before the meeting. Why don't we go drive past the stadium look at it? He goes, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So I drive past and he's still not tweaking. And so we get there and then there's the parking thing. And I said, oh, why don't we go in and we'll just park in the parking bay and maybe we can get out and walk around the stadium and just have a look inside because I've got a bit of time for, oh, yeah, that'd be cool, Dad. So I put, and he's still not getting it. And it's moments like that where you question your ability as a parent. What have I really taught you? How good of a job have I really done? You know, I mean, I can't, short of actually screaming in your face, we're going to the football. He still didn't get it. We get out of the car and we're walking around. And then I said to him, oh, sorry, Caleb, can you go back to the car? I left something in the glove box. So he goes back to the car, glove box, pulls the envelope out, walks over to me. He's holding the tickets and he still has no idea what's going on. And in the end, I had to, Caleb, would you open the envelope? He opens it up, he looks at it, he sees the tickets. He still doesn't realise that we're going to the game. I have to spell it out. Caleb, I've got no meeting. We're going to the football. We're walking through that gate. In there, we're going to watch. Oh, wow! And he was so excited and we went in there and we watched the game and he saw all his, his sporting heroes and right down near the fence and he's commenting on how big they were and he said, they look so tight. TV, because we only had a small screen telly, so tiny on TV, and they look so big in real life, and I was like, yes, nudging him, what about, never never said that about me, never has to this day, but um, he's bigger than me now, but the point is this, he went along with me, so what, what he... What, what he didn't realise at the start when he's thinking about watching it on TV, if you go with me, I've got something way better in store for you than you could ever have in store for yourself. I want to take you to a place that is so much more fulfilling and so much better than where you think is good and where you think is fulfilling and what you think is great. But he had to go on that journey with me. And to me, that's a great picture of obedience. We've got a picture for our life. We think it should be like this and like that. But God is saying this, if you'll just go with me. Mary is saying to us, just do whatever he says. Because the end result is this. You can plan for your life to be the highest is to sit at home and watch the TV. Or you can accept God's invitation and go with him and he'll take you to the game. Why do some people squeeze more out of their Christian experience than others? Because they actually do what God says to do. Amen? In the words of James, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Just close your eyes for a second. I don't know everybody here today, but um, I'm going to ask you a question. When I was 19, something radical happened in my life, and it was this. I got to the end of myself. I had tried all sorts of different things. I could not find satisfaction, fulfilment, purpose. Uh, I would go out at night with my friends and be laughing and happy in life at the party, but when I would wake up the next day and I was by myself and the music had stopped, I was empty. And I chipped away at my bucket list of things, and you know what? Nothing. Nothing gave me that satisfaction on the inside. And then I heard this simple message about a God in heaven who created me for a purpose and a reason. And I heard that I'd fallen short of his standards. I wasn't quite up to speed. I wasn't able to obey everything perfectly. But God made a provision for that. And that's what the story of Jesus was all about, that Jesus came. And Jesus took upon himself the punishment that I should take upon myself one day. But he took it upon himself. And his invitation to us is this, if you will just humble yourself 
And if you will accept me, if you will turn your life over to me, if you'll start trusting me, then I'll wipe away your sins, all that stuff that stands between you and the Father. And I'll send my Holy Spirit and I'll come and I'll fill your heart and I'll change your life. If you're in this place today and you've never done that, but you'd like to do that, I'm going to ask you to do something real simple. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to get up in front of people. I'm not going to make a yahoo about it. This is between you and God. I want you to do a simple thing. Just throw your hand in the air. Pull it back down. That's enough. Anybody here today? Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, I pray, uh, Lord, for uh, each person in this room right now, God. I thank you, Father. You have plans and purposes for our lives, God. Thank you, Father, that you, you call us, God, to go on a journey with you, Father. It's not a moment. It's not just a one-off moment where we get our fire insurance ticket and then we cruise on doing our own thing. But, Father, you want to take us on a journey. You want to turn us into the people you created us to be, God. You want to give us the opportunities to do the stuff that you put us here on planet Earth to do, Father. And so, God, I pray for each person here, Lord, as we go through the rest of this week, that we would hear the words of Mary. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have empowered us to be able to do that. No excuses. We can do what you call us to do because you've empowered us to do that, Father. And Lord, I pray also for uh, the next seven days. Everybody in this room, everybody that has a relationship with you, everybody that knows you, Lord, I pray you would give us an opportunity to share that reality with somebody outside. God, somebody who at this point in life doesn't know it but desperately needs to hear about a loving God that has a plan and purpose for their life also, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Uh, We're going to hang around up the front here. Um, Like I said, you know what? There's no anointing for obedience. I believe that. Uh, But I believe what the early church did is they didn't pray for an anointing to obey. They prayed for boldness to obey. See, obedience is simple, but it's not always easy. So we're going to hang around up the front here. And if anyone would like prayer, we'd love to just pray with you. We can't pray a decision into your life, but we could pray for boldness. We can pray for courage to make the decisions that you know you might need to make in your life. Amen. Bless you guys.